السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلله فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمد عبده ورسوله صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد Respected listeners, once again we gather at the end of the month for the monthly tafsir of the Holy Qur'an Having started from the last surah, we've now reached the 97th surah of the Qur'an, Surah Al-Qadr. Surah Al-Qadr is one of the shortest surahs of the Qur'an, a very famous surah, which almost all Muslims are familiar with. Surah Al-Qadr is famous for its brevity, for the fact that most people have memorized this surah in order to recite it in the Qur'an and regularly hear it. And most importantly, because of its connection with the month of Ramadan, and its reference to Laylatul Qadr, the most important night for the Muslims in the whole year. The surah is most famously known as Surah Al-Qadr, as well as Surah Laylatul Qadr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan ar-rajim, bismillahir rahman ar-rahim. إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ فِي لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ Indeed, we have revealed it in the night of Qadr. وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ And what will make you aware of what the night of Qadr is. Laylatul Qadr, the night of Qadr, khayrun min alf shahr, is better than a thousand months. Tanazzalul malaikatu wal ruh, the angels descend, and the spirits, fiha in this night, bi'idhni rabbihim min kulli amr, by the command of their Lord, with every decree. Salam. Salamun here. Peace it is. Hatta matla'il fajr. Till the rising of the dawn. That's a simple translation of the surah. Before I continue... Let me explain something about Qadr, the word used in the surah repeatedly. I haven't translated it, I've just left it as Qadr, because it incorporates a number of meanings. The primary meaning here in this surah and in this context is one of greatness. So, Qadr here means measure. Something of great measure, of magnitude, of great significance, 
importance, of great honor and dignity, and something of loftiness. So qadr in this context means greatness, loftiness. So one could really call it the night of greatness. And one of the but it's not the only meaning. It incorporates another meaning which is covered in the other part of the surah, and which is also referenced in another surah, which I will explain shortly. And the second meaning to this word qad, which is something which makes it great. So one of the reasons for its greatness and one of the incorporated meanings of the word qad is decree. So I'll leave it as qadr, and we should understand its primary meaning to be loftiness and greatness, and its secondary meaning, or its incorporated meaning, to be decree. And the incorporated secondary meaning is one of the reasons why it's so great. So mainly, Laylatul Qadr should be understood as being the night of greatness, because it's the night of Allah's decree. And, but not only because of the, it's the night of Allah's decree, but for many of the reasons also. <coughs> so, inna anzalnahu fi laylatul qadr. Indeed, we have revealed it. The pronoun it refers to the Holy Quran. And Allah doesn't mention it. And this is part of the style of the Arabic language and its rhetoric in that by referring to something with a pronoun instead of actually mentioning it explicitly is a means of giving it importance and significance, loftiness and greatness. So Allah simply says, Inna anzalna, indeed we have revealed it, referring to the Quran. Fi Laylatul Qadr, in the night of Qadr. Elsewhere in the Quran, in Surah Al Dukhan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Hameen, wal kitab al mubeen, Inna anzalnahu fi Laylatul Mubarakah. إِنَّا كُنَّا مُنْذِرِينَ فِيهَا يُفْرَقُ كُلُّ أَمْرٍ حَكِيمٍ أَمْرًا مِنْ عِنْدِنَا Allah says, Hameen, by the clear book. Indeed, we have revealed it. Again, the it refers to the book, the Holy Qur'an. But here, Allah actually, in Surah Al-Dukhan, Allah swears by the clear book. So he says, Hameen, وَالْكِتَابِ الْمُبِينَ By the clear book. إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ فِي لَيْلَةٍ مُبَارَكَةٍ Indeed, we have revealed it, i.e. the clear book, in a blessed night. That blessed night, referred to in Surah Al-Dukhan, has been clarified here. That the blessed night being referred to there is none other than Laylatul Qadr. And this is also a further clarification of another verse of the Qur'an in Surah Al-Baqarah in which Allah says, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنَ هُدًا لِلنَّاسِ وَبَيِّنَاتٍ مِّنَ الْهُدَى وَالْفُرْقَانِ That month of Ramadan in which the Qur'an has been revealed as a guidance for mankind and as clear proofs of guidance and as clear proofs of distinction. So again, the verse of Surah Al-Baqarah is very general. It's not specific. Allah simply says that the Qur'an was revealed in the month of Ramadan. All three verses, the verse of Surah Al-Baqarah, the beginning of Surah Al-Dukhan, and this surah, the, these verses of Surah Al-Qadr, are all related they all more or less refer to one and the same thing. The verse of Surah Al-Baqarah is much more general. The verse of Surah Al-Dukhan is a bit more specific. 
the verse of Surah Al-Qadr is very specific. Before we speak about Laylatul Qadr itself, its virtue, its importance, a valid question which people ask, and which even the Sahaba were presented with, is that in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah says, that month of Ramadan in which the Qur'an was revealed. And indeed, the Qur'an was revealed, and, and in Surah Al-Dukhan, we have revealed it in a blessed night. And in Surah Al-Qadr, here, we revealed it in Laylat Al-Qadr. So, the Qur'an, as we know, was revealed gradually, in verses and in surahs, piece by piece, over an approximate period of 23 years. And the revelation wasn't restricted to a single night or even a single month. It was revealed in other months also. So what's the meaning of the Qur'an being revealed in just one night and in just one month? And are the three any different to each other? The answer is very simple. Abdullah ibn Abbas explained that the Qur'an was first revealed from the Allah al-Mahfuz, the protective tablets, in the seventh heaven to the lowest heaven, which he refers to as Baytul Izzah, the realm of honor. So the Qur'an was revealed from the protected tablets to the lowest heaven in preparation for its revelation to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So the Qur'an was revealed in a single instant, en masse, as it was complete. And then from the first heaven, it was gradually revealed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam over a period of 23 years. The first stage of this revelation, i.e. the Qur'an being revealed in its entirety, from the protected tablet to the lowest heaven, this occurred in Laylatul Qadr. Furthermore, and therefore it was in Ramadan, furthermore the beginning of the revelation of the Qur'an, the first verses of the Qur'an, Iqra' bism rabbika alladhi khalaq, the first five verses of Surah Al-Alaq, were also revealed to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the month of Ramadan. So if we regard the revelation of the Qur'an as being in three stages, the transfer, the single transfer, and revelation of the entire Qur'an from the highest heaven to the lowest heaven, from Allah al-Mahfuz, the protected tablets, to the lowest heaven. That's the first stage of revelation. The second stage of revelation is the revealing of the very first verses and the beginning of that revelation from the lowest heaven to the earth, to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And then the third stage of the revelation is the continuation of that revelation gradually over 23 years. So, stage one and stage two were both in the month of Ramadan. Stage one was in Laylatul Qadr. And according to many ulama, the stage two was also in Laylatul Qadr, i.e. the beginning verses of the Holy Qur'an, Iqra' bism rabbika alladhi khalaq, received by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in the cave of Hira, from Jibreel alayhi salam, these verses were also revealed at night in Laylatul Qadr by Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Therefore, in all three verses in Surah Al-Qadr, where Allah says, indeed, we revealed it in the night of Qadr. In the beginning of Surah Al-Dukhan, where Allah says, indeed, we revealed it in a blessed night. Both are correct. Both refer to 
stage one and two of the revelation. And since the Laylatul Qadr is in Ramadan, therefore the verse of Surah Al-Baqarah is correct in that that month of Ramadan in which the Qur'an was revealed, i.e. the first stage of revelation as well as the second stage of revelation. In fact, there's a hadith related by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal in his Musnad and Imam Tabarani and others from Wathilah radiyallahu and one of the companions, which explicitly states that not only the Qur'an, but also the other books, holy books given to the prophets and messengers, were also revealed to them in the month of Ramadan. For the month of Ramadan is a month of revelation. The Torah was given to Musa alayhi salam in this month of Ramadan. The Injil was given to the prophet Isa alayhi salam in the month of Ramadan. Zabur, the Psalms, were given to the Prophet Dawood in the month of Ramadan. And the Suhuf of Ibrahim, the scrolls and scriptures given to the Prophet Ibrahim السلام, were also revealed to him in the month of Ramadan. So other revelations were given to the messengers in the month of Ramadan and the revelation to Rasulullah was also in the month of Ramadan, both the single transfer from the highest heaven, the protected tablet, to the lowest heaven, as well as the second stage of revelation, which is the beginning of the revelation of the Holy Qur'an with the words, Iqra' bismi rabbika That also took place in the month of Ramadan. Therefore, all three verses are interconnected, they all refer to one and the same thing, and all of them are correct and valid. The third stage of revelation, which is the gradual continuation of the revelation over 23 years, is not really referred to in these three verses. Only the first two stages are. Now, a more complex question, and something which I explained in some detail a few months ago also, which is the Qur'an was revealed gradually over time. Muslims also believe that prior to the revelation of some of the verses of the Qur'an, not all of them, but some of the verses of the Qur'an, there were incidents, there were precursors. There were sets stages, events, which the Qur'an refers to. So there was the Battle of Badr. The Qur'an refers to it later, after the Battle of Badr. There was the Battle of Uhud. The Qur'an refers to it later. There was the Prophet Wasallam's marriage to Zainab bint Jahsh. The verses of Surah Al-Ahzab refer to that marriage. The... There were many incidents in the life, both personal and public, of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. The Qur'an refers to them. Muslims also believe that a number of the verses of the Qur'an were abrogated. So verses were revealed and read. And then they were abrogated. The Qur'an also refers to certain things which appear to have preceded the Qur'an, but the Qur'an was written, or the Qur'an existed long before those events. And not just the recent events and the precursors in the life of the Prophet ﷺ prior to the revelation of the verses, but something much more, for instance. One common objection which is raised is, the Qur'an says, وَلَقَدْ كَتَبْنَا فِي الزَّبُورِ مِنْ بَعْدِ الذِّكْرِ أَنَّ الْأَرْضَ يَرِثُهَا عِبَادِيَ الصَّالِحُونَ That indeed we decreed in the Zabur, in the Psalms, after the admonition that the earth, my pious servant, shall inherit it. So this is a reference to what's commonly known as the meek shall inherit the earth. 
it says that the, we decreed in the Zabur. But the Qur'an existed before the Zabur in the Allah al-Mahfud, in the protected tablet. So whether we're speaking about the Zabur, or whether we're speaking about any of these other incidents in the life of the Prophet All of this apparently contradicts what I've just mentioned about the Qur'an being revealed in its entirety in one single night from the Allah al-Mahfud, the protected tablets in the highest heaven to the lowest heaven. So how can this be true? How can this contradicts the passage of time and the laws of time? The Qur'an existed, and yet it was referring to incidents much later. The Qur'an existed in the Allah al-Mahfuz, in its complete form, and yet it's referring to incidents and events in the personal and public life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and the sahaba radiyallahu anhum. So how can that be true? All of this is to do with time. And time and space are the creation of Allah. Allah is not bound by the laws of time and space. We exist in this universe. And this universe has its own laws. Its own constraints. Its own constants. And physicists and scientists and astronomers believe, theoretically, that this isn't just the only, this isn't the only universe. There are other universes. And the other universes themselves are not bound by the laws and the constraints and constants of this universe. Time and space belong to this universe. We can't argue that time and space and the laws and constants of this universe are equally applicable to the other universes. In fact, forget the other universes... So far, we're only, we were, we are only familiar with three dimensions. But they now speak of a fourth dimension. Prior to Einstein's theory of relativity, and prior to Einstein's theories of physics, for approximately 300 years, the laws and the theories relating to physics of Isaac Newton were prominent and prevalent. For three centuries, the whole scientific world believed in Newtonian physics. With Einstein's theories, three centuries of physics, three centuries of physics and three centuries of laws were turned on their head. when Einstein proposed his theories, and then later they were proven through observation, especially through the eclipse and other observations. Scientists all over the world, in their their collective number, had to accept that these new theories, which were observed, which were proven, actually turned Newtonian physics of three centuries on their head completely abolished some of the theories of Isaac Newton. And then, from then till recently, normal physics precluded the possibility of quantum physics. But now, with observations of quantum mechanics and quantum physics, many of the previously 
held beliefs and theories about normal physics have also been brought into question. They're actually working commercially on quantum computers. Quantum computers aren't possible without the reality of quantum physics. And quantum physics messes up everything we've known about the universe. Where a single thing can be in two contradictory states at one time. Where, in fact, a single object can possibly and theoretically be in two different places at one time. And these are phenomena that are actually being observed and worked on right now. The point I'm trying to make is... We're forever changing our understanding of the world and the universe. And what we always tend to believe is not possible, often is later proven to be possible. Three centuries of Newtonian physics were overturned by Einstein's theories. Recent discoveries in quantum physics have overturned widely held beliefs about standard physics. And it continues. And yet we are all still talking about one Earth, one Earth, in one solar system, in one galaxy, in one universe. They say there are an average of about 200 billion stars in one galaxy. And they are on approximately 200 billion galaxies that are known to us. And all of this is still within one single universe. And they say there may be many other universes. And the other universes are not bound by the laws and the constants and the constraints or even the concept of time and space, which are only applicable to this universe. In fact, Black holes exist in this universe and time stops and possibly could go into reverse at the edge of a black hole. So the laws of time and space are broken by black holes within this universe. Having understood all of that, this universe, time and space and laws... Belong to Allah, for he is a creator. If we believe, or if we think that other universes are not bound by the laws of time and space, and the constants and the constraints of this universe, then how can the creator of everything be bound by his own creation? Far from it. And let me put a real cat in the pigeons. Physicists, not all, but some actually believe, and you may have heard this, that everything is already decreed and pre-written. But they say, they say this not from the perspective of faith, but they say this based on their understanding of the laws and physics of the universe. So according to them, based on the laws and the physics of the universe, what will happen ten years from now at a given time is already decreed. And it will happen. Nothing or no one can stop it. That's other. It's difficult to understand. It's difficult to explain. But they believe that is the inevitable result and consequence of the laws of time and space and the constants of the universe and of physics. That what's going to happen 10, 20 years from now is already set, and nothing can change that. So, we are human beings. We are feeble. In many things, chimps are cleverer than us. It's a fact. You may have seen these programs where they show chimpanzees, solving puzzles on computer screens 
and punching the screen when it when numbers are flashed regularly without training and just basic learning chimps in cages outperform any human being and we marvel at our intelligence <coughs> chimps can beat us in mathematics in numbers not in not in extensive arithmetic but even simple puzzles like this go and check it out we marvel at our ability to speak animals recognize each other and communicate and converse with each other despite being absent from each other for over 10 years they've observed that even in dolphins and elephants animals birds fishes communicate with each other and display a high degree of intelligence chimpanzees can outperform human beings in certain puzzles and number games and we marvel at our intelligence and with that intelligence which allah has given us and which is so limited so susceptible so vulnerable to error that we can have false memories we imagine things people can play simple tricks on us power of persuasion you walk into a supermarket a certain type of mood music is playing and we prompted to buy what we don't need a swindler stands in front of us talks to us in a few minutes he or she manages to convince us to part with our money and buy something that we don't need we've got a a bit of a tummy ache we can't understand we go to a charlatan and he says some old relative in a village back home has cast a spell on you and despite our phd's and our wealth we bite hook line and sink and we pay them a thousand pounds for the privilege of being made fools of with that kind of intelligence we then question the qadr of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we question the wisdom and the ilm and the knowledge of allah there are scales that are minute that measure gold dust Imagine putting a boulder or a rock on that scale what will happen it collapses forget scales of gold and gold dust these computers that sit on our desktops amazing pieces of technology overload it with information what happens it crashes for those of you who are familiar with IT components can actually burn graphic cards and processors if they are overloaded they are known to actually crash and burn overload an electrical system what happens collapses short circuits cuts out if we overload our brains if we place the boulder of questions of qadr relating to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on this minute brain of ours what will happen it will collapse it will be defeated so this question about how can about the quran being in its complete form in the allah al-mahfuz despite referring to incidents that come much later how is that possible it's possible for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not for us to understand and this is where faith comes in if a person has iman if a person has faith then if a person has no faith the one will question every single thing every miracle every mu'jiza of rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is then questionable 
every incident in the life of the Prophet ﷺ, which is not normal for a human being, as a human being, is questionable. So it's a question of faith. If a person has faith in Allah and His Rasul ﷺ, then a person accepts that there are some things that this limited and weak intelligence of ours would not be able to fathom (coughs) or overcome. And we will accept that the reality of those things will become manifest to us in the akhirah, in the hereafter. In any case, إِنَّا أَنزَلْنَاهُ فِي لَيْلَةِ الْقَدْرِ Indeed, we revealed it, i.e. the book, the Holy Qur'an, in the night of Qadr. وَمَا أَدْرَاكَ مَا لَيْلَةُ الْقَدْرِ and what will inform you, what will make you aware of what Laylatul Qadr is? The night of greatness. Laylatul Qadr, the night of Qadr, khayrun min al is better than a thousand months. A thousand months in which there is no Laylatul Qadr. One night, just one night, from Maghrib to Fajr Salah, and in fact thereafter shortly, one single night is better than a thousand months. Of its days and nights, of its worship, of its deeds. Imam Malik relates in his Muatta, it's not a connected Muttasil hadith, but he just says that he has reached me from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That he was shown, he was made aware of the deeds of the people of the past. So in comparison to their deeds, the Prophet ﷺ considered the opportunity and the age and the amount of deeds of this ummah to be very little. And this grieved him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised him the reward of Laylatul Qadr for his ummah. And in a number of hadith, Prophet ﷺ has spoken of the greatness of Laylatul Qadr, which I will address shortly. But otherwise, Laylatul Qadr, khayrun min alf shahr. Laylatul Qadr, the night of greatness, the night of Qadr, is better than a thousand months. One interesting thing here, thrice Allah mentions Laylatul Qadr, over and over again. Laylatul Qadr, Laylatul Qadr, in the first three verses. Allah then says, The angels descend and the spirits. And the meaning of the spirit here is Jibreel alayhi salam. They descend fiha in this night. By the command of their Lord. Min kulli amr, with every decree. What does that mean, with every decree? And prior to that, what's the significance of the angels descending with Jibreel alayhi salam? The angels descend from the heavens on many occasions. But on this night... They are, they cover the earth. How? On any normal occasion, even out of Laylatul Qadr, and even after the month of Ramadan, when Allah's servants gather to remember Allah, to read the book of Allah, the angels gather, they surround them. They actually make a tunnel all the way from the, from this gathering to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to the heavens. Make a tunnel from the gathering to the heavens. They surround the gatherings of dhikr, of the recitation of the Holy Quran. And that's on normal days. So, especially in the month of Ramadan and especially in the night of Qadr. Furthermore, in a way, the descending of the angels and specifically of Jibreel alayhi salam in the night of Qadr is a commemoration of the coming down of Jibreel alayhi salam and the angels in the night of Qadr when he first brought the verses of the Holy Qur'an to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Jibreel descended then along with, the, with other angels. So in a way, this repetition year by year in Laylatul Qadr of the descending of Jibreel alayhi salam, the spirit, along with the angels... In a way, this is a kind of commemoration of that original descent 
for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he brought the Holy Qur'an. And they come with the decree of Allah, by the command of Allah, with every decree of Allah. This simply refers to that in the night of Qadr, I mentioned at the beginning, that Qadr means greatness. And part of that greatness, or one of the reasons for that greatness, is that in this night, every decree, every major decree, is decreed by Allah. And that's referenced in the verse of Surah Al-Dukhan, where Allah says, Hameen, by the clear book. Indeed, we have revealed it in a blessed night. فِيهَا يُفْرَقُ كُلُّ أَمْرٍ حَكِيمٍ In this night, every firm decree is decided. Many things are decided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this night for the coming year. Again, it's not something qadr, is not something we can understand. That's a fact. It just isn't. So many things are decided in this night, and this is one of the reasons why it's called Laylatul Qadr. And the angels descend by the command of Allah, along with Jibreel alayhi salam, in this night, by the permission and the command of their Lord, with every decree. Salamun here, hatta fajr. Allah says, peace it is. Meaning the night is a night of peace. It's a night of peace in many ways. The angels descend and they actually say salam to the believers. The angels descend with salam, with peace. It's an instruction to peace that in the month of Ramadan, even on Laylatul Qadr specifically, try and adopt a demeanor, an attitude, and behavior of peace with each other. So it's not only a statement of fact, it's also an instruction as to how we should behave, even in the night of Qadr. Here, حَتَّى مَطْلَعِ الْفَجْرِ This descending of the angels, this, this peace, this special atmosphere of Laylatul Qadr, it exists and it remains till the break of dawn, till the rising of the dawn. That's a simple meaning of the surah. Now, speaking of Laylatul Qadr itself, most people tend to believe <coughs> that it's on the 27th night of Ramadan. <coughs> so what is the reality of Laylatul Qadr? Is it fixed? Is it rotating? If so, in which period does it rotate? There are many opinions of the ulama. For instance, Imam Abu Hanifa, rahmatullahi alayhi, one opinion attributed to him is that Laylatul Qadr is not specific to the month of Ramadan. It can be any at any time of the year. I'm not saying this is his view, this is one opinion attributed to him. And people often find that strange, but... Imam Abu Hanifa, rahmatullahi alayhi, wouldn't just say things for the sake of it. If you look back into his opinions and his views, you always discover that there's a history to them. And this view, or this opinion, attributed to him that Laylatul Qadr rotates throughout the year, not just in the month of Ramadan. This is a view that was held, or attributed at least, to the ulama of Kufa, and even to the companion Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiyallahu So there's normally always a history. In any case, I won't go into the details of the various opinions. The majority of the ulama conclude, and this is the simplest view, and this is the one that best reflects the narrations and the hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, is that Laylatul Qadr, <coughs> rotates in the odd nights of the final 10 days of Ramadan. That's the most stable 
and consistent view, view and which is consistent with the narrations of the hadith and in fact that's the one that's accepted by most ulama that laylatul qadr is a night which rotates in the odd nights of the final 10 days of ramadan so the 21st 23rd, 25th, 27th, and the 29th of Ramadan. This is the best view. One shouldn't debate or engage in unnecessary debate about all these other views also, and especially one shouldn't disparage anyone. People sometimes criticize the fact that, oh, to think that the 27th night of Ramadan is Laylatul Qadr, is a simplistic view. People have mentioned that. That, oh, to think that the 27th is fixed for Laylatul Qadr is a common view of lay people. That's also incorrect. In fact, this was the view and opinion of Imam Ahmed ibn Hanbal. And not only that, the companion, Ubayy ibn Ka'b, he swore in the name of Allah that his position was that the 27th night of Ramadan is Laylatul Qadr and it doesn't rotate, it's fixed. So all of these different opinions have their reasons, but I won't go into any of them. I'll just mention the most stable view, which is consistent with the hadith, which is accepted by the clear majority of the ulama, which is also the most famous, that the Laylatul Qadr is not fixed for any one night, it rotates during the odd nights of the final 10 days of Ramadan. It could be 21, 23, 25, 27, or 29. And one should exert oneself in these final 10 days of Ramadan because this is what the Prophet ﷺ used to do. In fact, Imam Bukhari and others relate a hadith that Prophet ﷺ, in his search for Laylatul Qadr, he did a'tikaf in his masjid for the first 10 days of Ramadan. Then he, did, then he continued with his a'tikaf for the second 10 days of Ramadan. And then finally, on the 20th night, he made an announcement and said that those who sat with me or who engaged in i'tikaf in the masjid, they should return and continue with their i'tikaf for I have been shown that Laylatul Qadr is in the final 10 days of Ramadan. And then after that year, the Prophet ﷺ would consistently do i'tikaf in the final 10 days of Ramadan. And part of the reason of i'tikaf, part of that seclusion is one search for Laylatul Qadr. <coughs> and in fact, he would awaken his family and really worship Allah with great resolve and determination. This was the peak of his year. The Prophet ﷺ was such that Ummul Mu'mineen Aisha radiallahu anha says that he would be engaged in the dhikr and the remembrance of Allah for every moment throughout the year. But as Ramadan would appear, he would never be more exerting and more worshipping and more striving than any other month apart from Ramadan as much as he was in the month of Sha'bah. Then when Ramadan came, in the first 10 days, his ibadah was greater, his exertions were greater than even the month of Sha'bah. And then in the second 10 days, they increased and then finally, when it came to the final ten days, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would spe- remain awake for the entire night. He would awaken his family. He would encourage them to remain awake, to engage in ibadah. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would strive with great resolve and determination in these final ten days, as he would never do so throughout the rest of the year. And much of this was to do with Laylatul Qadr. His i'tikaf was to do with Laylatul Qadr. Part of it was to do with Laylatul Qadr, as is clearly mentioned in the hadith. That's what he was searching for. So that's our lesson for us. We strive in the final ten days of Ramadan, especially in the 
on the 21st, 23rd, 25th, 27th and 29th. In fact, in a hadith later by Imam Ahmad ibn Hanbal's Muslim Imam Nasayi in his Sunan, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says that in the month of Ramadan there is one night, the night of Laylatul well, there is one night, Laylatul Qadr, which is so great that he says, whoever is deprived of good in this one night, he is deprived of all good. If someone cannot gain the forgiveness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and receive Allah's mercy in the month of Ramadan, in the final 10 days, and especially in Laylatul Qadr, then at which other opportunity will that person gain Allah's forgiveness and receive Allah's mercy? In fact, Imam Hakim relates a hadith in his al-mustadrak and so do others that Prophet sallallahu ascended the mimbar. And he said, Ameen, he is at the first step. Then he said, Ameen, at the second step. And he said, Ameen, at the third step. When he descended, the Sahaba radiallahu anhum asked him, O Messenger of Allah, today we observed you doing and saying something which we haven't seen before. You said, you ascended the mimbar, and at each step you said, Ameen, Ameen, Ameen. Why? Prophet said, and this is the paraphrasing of the hadith, that Jibreel came to me and he made three du'as. Each time I placed a foot on one of the steps, he made a du'a, and on that du'a I said, Ameen. Imagine, the leader of the angels making a du'a in the masjid of Rasulullah and the leader of the Prophet saying Ameen to that du'a whilst he ascends his mimbar. And the three du'as were that may that person be the, may that person be removed from the mercy of Allah, who finds the month of Ramadan and yet still does not gain forgiveness. He said, "Amin." May that person be removed from the mercy of Allah in whose presence your name is mentioned, O Messenger of Allah, and yet he still does not send salat and salam upon you. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He said, Ameen. May that person be removed in distance from the mercy of Allah, who finds both or one of his parents, and then through serving them, he still does not gain Jannah. Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Ameen. The relevant part to, for us is the first part of the hadith which says that Jibreel prayed that may that person be removed and distanced from the mercy of Allah who finds the month of Ramadan and yet still does not gain Allah's forgiveness and mercy during that month. And as he says in this hadith that Ramadan contains one night, Laylatul Qadr, Whoever is deprived of the good of this one night, that person is deprived of all good. Ramadan is the peak time of the year for the believers, and the final ten days are the greatest. And in those ten days, Laylatul Qadr is the peak. And the reason of the greatness of Laylatul Qadr, well, one of the reasons for the greatness of Laylatul Qadr, and... Therefore, the month of Ramadan is their connection to the Holy Qur'an. Shahru Ramadan alladhi unzala fihi al-Qur'an, Allah says that month of Ramadan in which the Qur'an was revealed. And the Qur'an and its revelation are both referenced in the in these two surahs, so Surah Al-Dukhan and Surah Al-Qadr, which speak of this blessed night. The Qur'an makes part of their greatness, and part of the greatness of Ramadan is because of the Qur'an. And that the Qur'an has a great connection with the month of Ramadan. And it's not just about recitation. It's about recitation. It's about understanding and the Holy Qur'an, reflecting on its meaning and message, and most importantly, acting on it. And then, that connection should be the greatest in the month of Ramadan, but it shouldn't cease with the passing of Ramadan. Rather, it should continue for the rest of the year. 
Nor should we think that we can suffice with just the with just Laylatul Qadr. Laylatul Qadr is important, but it doesn't excuse a person for the rest of the year. In that we only have to pray, we only have to recite, we only have to remain awake, we only have to engage in ibadah in this one night, and that will suffice us for the whole year? No. It doesn't remove the obligation of fasting, of prayer five times a day, of any other, ob- uh, it doesn't remove any other obligation. It doesn't. And the ulama all agree that when it comes to the forgiveness of sins, these ibadat, all of these rewards are promised in the hadith. They only forgive minor sins. So for instance, walking to the masjid sheds a person's sins. Waiting from one salah to the next sheds a person's sins. Doing good deeds sheds a person's sins. All of these things shed sins. In fact, doing wudu and performing turaqa'at salah after wudu sheds a person's sins, cleanses them and purifies them. However, all of these promises, even those which refer to a person returning to the state in which their mother gave birth to them. Even these ahadith and these promises are all restricted to minor sins, not major sins. A person's major sins are not forgiven until and unless they specifically repent for them. One. And even the major sins and the minor sins only those sins are forgiven that are related to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Not with anyone, not with anyone of his creation. Even Hajj. Hajj does not shed sins that are related to anybody else. If a person owes someone something, or even if a person has wronged someone, then Their hajj is valid, but that hajj is restricted to them. What remains outstanding between them remains outstanding until they clear their debts in the dunya. If not in the dunya, then in the akhirah. I mentioned about Al-Hassan al-Basri, rahmatullahi alayhi, who uttered some very wise words. He lived, he died in 110 Hijri, and... He lived during the time of Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, the tyrannical strongman of the Umayyad dynasty. He ruled Iraq. He was a he was just a simple policeman at one stage. Then he rose in the ranks, became a soldier, rose in the ranks, until finally he became the most powerful individual in the whole of the Umayyad dynasty. And he was a tyrannical ruler. He persecuted the noble companions, including Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu he, one of his favorite pastimes was taunting Anas ibn Malik radiyallahu and the companion of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa And he wasn't a companion himself. He was a real brutal tyrant. The ulama used to say of him that if all the nations of the past were to produce their tyrants and we were to place all of them collectively on one pan of the scale, and we were to present only Hajjaj ibn Yusuf from this ummah, Hajjaj ibn Yusuf would outweigh all of them. He was, he was very brutal. They say that he was personally responsible 
for having calmly executed or having executed by his orders over 120,000 people. That was then. And we are speaking of that individual. And Al-Hassan al-Basri rahmatullahi wasn't in favor of Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. Far from it. In fact, he, he hid from him and he fled for his life from Al-Hajjaj ibn, from Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. But that same Al-Hassan al-Basri, Imam Al-Hassan al-Basri, was once seated with a group of individuals when someone started bad-mouthing and criticizing and abusing Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. So Hassan al-Basri, rahmatullahi alayhi. I'm not saying this is the law, uh, hear me out, I'm saying look at his beautiful advice. Al-Hassan al-Basri, rahmatullahi alayhi, said to him, don't speak of Hajjaj in that manner. Do not say anything. So he said, how can you say this? How can you prevent me from speaking of Al-Hajjaj ibn Yusuf when he is who he is? Listen to the answer of Imam Al-Hassan al-Basri. He said, Allah is just. Allah is just. And just as Allah will exact the full measure from Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. And Allah will redress every wrong. And Allah will punish him and hold him to account and take him to task for every wrong that he has done to others. Allah is just and therefore similarly. Any wrong that you do to Hajjaj bin Yusuf Allah will also hold you to task and take you to account for that. He is responsible for the wrong he has committed, but you will be responsible for the wrong you have committed. And that was to do with someone like Hajjaj ibn Yusuf, a brutal tyrant. So, whether it's Hajj, or any other ibadah, or whether it's worship in Laylatul Qadr. These ibadah, these acts of worship, they do not exempt a person from their other obligations, nor do they abolish or eradicate sins, even major sins, unless a person specifically repents from them. And nor does nor do they eradicate sins related to other people. In fact, even the common belief that a person, once they embrace Islam, everything is forgiven. It's clearly mentioned in the hadith that this is to do with if a person does not persist in that behaviour. Otherwise, even after embracing Islam, because embracing Islam is their greatest act of repentance, it's their greatest change. But if after embracing Islam, they persist in, with their previous behavior, Rasulullah says, he will be held to account for and seized for the previous sins as well as the late sins. Because that shows that there's no repentance. And that shows that there's more to it that's part of their character rather than something done out of ignorance or because someone never considered it to be haram. So subhanAllah, even Islam, the greatest eradicator of sins, even that will only abolish sins and absolve a person if a person truly repents and changes and does not persist in that behavior. So when it comes to Laylatul Qadr, Laylatul Qadr, as great as it is, it's not a magic formula for exempting one from their obligations or for abolishing all sins, especially if they are related to other people. A person cannot be absolved of their responsibility in relation to other people's sins unless they seek forgiveness from that person and they rectify the wrong. 
Except for those who repent, Allah says in the Quran, and make good their deeds, or reform, and even clarify. So this is in reference to those who were guilty of withholding information. Allah gave them knowledge. They withheld that knowledge. They were responsible. They were guilty. They were sinful. But if they repent, their repentance is not sufficient. They have to repair the damage that they have done. They have to rectify the wrong. And anything, any information that they withheld, they now have to disclose. These are the conditions of repentance. So Laylatul Qadr, this is another topic in itself, but I mention it here because unfortunately there is this common misconception that Laylatul Qadr is the be-all and end-all. It's a single magic, it's a single magic formula that solves everything. It doesn't. As great as it is, it doesn't exempt anyone from their obligations, nor does it absolve anyone of their responsibility of sin that they have committed, sins that they have committed, especially in relation to other people. I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala enable us to understand, may Allah make us amongst those who see the month of Ramadan again and who are able to appreciate the month of Ramadan and who grants us the tawfiq to find the night of Laylatul find Laylatul Qadr and spend it in a manner that is pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that is productive and rewarding for us and forgiving for us. وصلى الله وسلم على عبده ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سبحانك اللهم وبحمدك نشهد الله إله إلا أنت نستغفرك ونتوب إليك just to recap I'll just quickly translate the verses again Allah says indeed we have revealed it in the night of Qadr and what will inform you what is Laylatul Qadr the night of Qadr is better than a thousand months. The angels descend, and the spirits, meaning Jibreel, in this night, by the command of their Lord, with every decree. Peace it is, meaning peace, it is the night is, and the, until the rising of the dawn. This lecture was delivered by Sheikh Abu Yusuf Riyadul Haq, and has been brought to you by Alkotha Productions. For additional lectures and products, please visit www.akstore.com. We can also be contacted by phone on 0044-121-771-3777 or by email via sales at akstore.com. Produced under license by Alcotha Productions. All rights reserved for Alcotha Productions and the author. Any unauthorized distribution, broadcasting, or public performance of this recording will constitute a violation of copyright.